Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about improving spray performance. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening in your farm or you just want to visit about agriculture in general, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so I got my brother Darren on with us today, too. Again, we're talking about improving spray performance. So, Darren, what are the first things that pop into your head? Or let me let me rephrase this. What are the top one or two questions farmers usually ask you about how they get better performance out of their herbicides, fungicides, or insecticides? Well, first of all, the exact timing to use them. That's really the biggest thing. When we see guys making mistakes, the number one mistake is they got the timing wrong. So whether that means the weeds got too big, the crop was at the wrong stage, we waited too long to spray and now disease had already really taken hold in the field, that timing is really number one. And then the second one that I get a lot of questions about is what's the correct water volume that we're going to use? Because we hear so many of, especially the ag chem manufacturers, blame everything and, oh, you didn't use the right amount of water. And I get it with some products, they're pretty sensitive to that, that they need quite a bit of water to work, or you shouldn't have so much water to work because you're diluting the droplets down, like in the case of Roundup. So I think uh, understanding those two things, the timing and then the spray volume needed are two of the bigger ones. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that spray volume thing. I kind of forgot about that, but I haven't heard as much about that in the last couple, three years. But for a long time, that, that was a standard thing. It seemed like if you ever had something go wrong and the chemical rep went out, they'd always say, well, you didn't use enough water. Come on. The, the, the water isn't the problem. I mean, adding some more water in some cases can help you with certain herbicides. Like let's take Liberty, Bucktrill, Bassagrand, Germoxone. Those are all contact killers. You have to have fantastic coverage there. Same thing with fungicides. Great coverage means better control. But with Roundup, with Banville, with a lot of these products that are systemic, it's not as big a deal. In fact, I'd rather have less water in a lot of cases just so I get a more concentrated droplet actually landing on the leaves of that plant. So in terms of this improving spray performance thing, we've seen a lot of new nozzles come out, and we'll talk about that as the show continues. But Darren, are you seeing, at least in your mind, because you're in fields a lot more than me, are you seeing what you think is a little bit better control with these newer nozzles, or is the difference really not that big a deal? You know, I don't know that it's necessarily that big a deal for the weed control, but I would say this, in many cases, we've switched to bigger droplets, and the focus has been reducing drift. Yep. And it's important for farmers to understand what kind of drift we're actually talking about here, because when you think about physical drift, if you're out there on a day that's not overly windy, and you're making a medium-sized droplet, you just aren't going to have much for physical drift problems. However, if you do have a very windy day, I don't care what nozzle you have, you're going to have some issues out there. So we've got to be smart about that one because these drift control nozzles, they don't improve our weed kill. They're taking away from our coverage and the 
efficacy of some of these products on certain weeds at certain timings. So when we're using drift control nozzles, we got to be really smart about them. We got to be really fussy about how we're utilizing those in terms of what spray pressure and volumes we're using, because now we've got to rely on spray pressure and water volume to try to help us with coverage because we've given it up in terms of having small droplets. On Tuesday, here at the Morton Center, so right in the site of the Ag PhD Field Day, we'll be holding a wheat workshop. So it's an Ag PhD wheat workshop. We'd love to have, if you're listening today, we'd love to have you join us. It's free. It's just Darren and me spending the day with you talking about how to raise better wheat, better yielding wheat, higher protein, and ultimately, hopefully, more profitable wheat. Well, anyway, one of the slides that I've got in this presentation that I'm working on right now for the wheat workshop has to do with this spray coverage topic. And it's comparing two leaves where we took a look at this under blue light just to see what the difference was there in terms of a really, really good spray coverage nozzle versus an ultra low drift nozzle. To Darren's point, it's designed to reduce drift and it will but when you see the difference in spray coverage you go whoa okay now i'm starting to understand our point here is simply this you can't just use one nozzle and i i i think well even when i was a young agronomist 30 years ago most people were using one spray nozzle for ev- almost everything on the farm we we do not advise you to do that. We'd, we'd encourage you to have triple nozzle bodies, if not even five-way nozzle bodies. And there are even systems where you can switch things from the cab. But the point is you've got to have the right nozzle for the job because if you don't, you're going to be really unhappy. And our goal always is to help you get the most bang for your buck. When you're going to invest a dollar in something, we want to see you get much more than a dollar back. And it's a lot easier when you got the right spray nozzle. All right, Darren, anything else as we start the show here today in terms of improving spray performance that's on the top of your mind? we got about a minute left. Well, the last thing is just making sure you've got the right rate at the right timing. And with Roundup this year, we're getting so many questions. It's Roundup prices very high and supply is a little tight. We're getting guys talking about, hey, I'm going to cut the rate of Roundup, add a full rate of a broadleaf herbicide with it. Can I do that and can I be successful? Absolutely, as long as you know which weeds you're going after, like small annual grasses, and you get them when they're still small. Yeah, and I appreciate the fact that you used small as like two of your final five words you left us with today because that is the key when you're trying to get good weed control if the weed gets big just i'd encourage you take a look at the label on whatever herbicide you're using you're going to see that the weed control is not labeled once you get past a certain height and unfortunately a lot of fields that i walk in where guys have had a problem the weeds were just they were too big So it's easy for those weeds to grow and get ahead of us. you got to try to be as early as possible. Get the weeds when they're small. Well, we'll talk more about improving spray performance right after this on Ag PhD Radio. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. 
Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio, and we're talking a little about improving spray performance. So first on the show, we've got our friend Nick Flights with us. He is with Pentair. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good, Brian. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right, so just before the break, we were talking about the difference between like an ultra-low drift nozzle and a nozzle that would give you better performance in terms of spray coverage. So one of the things, like next week when we've got our wheat workshop, we're going to be talking a lot about fungicides. And with fungicides, you want really good control. So in terms of this improving spray performance thing, can you just talk to us a little bit about the difference you see when you have the right spray nozzle versus the wrong one in terms of getting spray coverage? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, ultra core sprays, and there's been a lot of focus on that, you know, the past five years with uh, the dicamba technology coming out. Um, and certainly for, for fungicide spraying, contact herbicides, some of our other higher coverage applications, um, that's not the right course. That's not the right path. Uh, so if you think about an ultra coarse droplet versus, say, a coarse spray droplet, um, the ultra course is twice as, as large um, than a coarse spray droplet will be in its size. And the, the difference between those two, uh, there's a square root relationship. So there's eight times as many spray droplets when spraying from a nozzle that's producing a coarse droplet size than there is an ultra coarse droplet size. So if you're looking to really maximize coverage, like you might for a fungicide application, that kind of mid-range droplet size is going to give you the best performance. You want to avoid that top end ultra and extra course because there's just not enough spray droplets to go around to give us a uniform coverage and also kind of a, a, a droplet density. Um, if we only have a handful of droplets to go around, uh, our coverage won't be very dense. There's going to be a lot of leaf surface area where there's no um, spray droplet deposited. 
if we can go with that denser coverage with a much higher number of droplets created, we can get a lot more of them on the leaf surface, get a lot more of that area covered, and should see a better performing application. All right. Now, as soon as farmers hear you say that, they're probably going to go, wait a second here. If I got to spray dicamba and use this ultra-coarse spray nozzle, then am I going to get any control? How is that impacting the control of something like dicamba? So there's two things going on there. One, we know from the label, uh, we're required to use a, a minimum of 15 gallons per acre. That's going to help offset some of those losses in coverage. And dicamba is a systemic herbicide. Um, so it does not require the same level of coverage on the, the leaf surface to achieve the desired level of control. That systemic herbicide is going to be taken up within the plant and what we call translocated. So it's going to move around within the plant, kind of like if you took a, a Tylenol or an oil painkiller. It's going to move around within your body to get to those receptors. Um, so we don't require as many droplets on the leaf surface to get good performance. Um, generally, you know, most of the time, um, you know, outside of the dicamba system, um, we're not going to recommend ultra-coarse droplets a lot unless it's a scenario where that drift reduction is a primary focus for us. Anything else today that you wanted to visit with us about, Nick, when a farmer or an agronomist asks you, hey, how do I improve my spray performance? Well, I would like to say, you know, I think it's a timely discussion this time of year in winter. Uh, you know, a lot of people looking at it, uh, making sprayer updates, replacing parts. A lot of folks buying new sprayers are waiting on new sprayers to come. So a lot of winter meetings going on, a lot of trade shows. And I would encourage folks to, to be proactive on this. There will be a lot of demand for new spray parts um, later in the spring. So as you go to trade shows, come talk to us. Look out the look out for uh, you know the Pinter High Pro booth. Come talk to us. This is going to be the first mention of it we're going to put out, but I will kind of announce here today that we do have a new nozzle coming to market uh, this year. It's not available today, but uh, later this spring, early summer, it, it will be on the market. So. Be on the lookout for some new nozzle and application technologies that companies are bringing out that can also help uh, you know, improve some performance of your sprayer. Yeah, I will say in the past I've been to several things, several events where you've had a spray table up just showing the different spray nozzles. Super interesting stuff. So anyway, if you're listening today, we'd encourage you to check that out. Again, we've been talking with Nick Flights. He's with Pentair. Nick, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. All right. Next down, we got Kent Woodall with us. He is with Rosens. And we're going to talk just a little and change gears from spray nozzles to spray adjuvants. Kent, I think one of the biggest questions I always get from farmers is, why do I have to throw an adjuvant in? Why can't they just include that right with the herbicide? Yeah, very good question, Brian. I'm glad to be able to support your show today. Um the adjuvants, I've always thought of them as the delivery systems. Just simple, simple, simple. It's the delivery systems. Most of our pesticides are not formulated with adjuvants or surfactants or oils or so forth. But surfactant or adjuvant that we use in a tank mix helps deliver the pesticide to do its best work. And that can mean from a managing droplet size down to penetration of the cuticle, uh, minimizing evaporation or improved deposition, a whole host of characteristics that can be used. 
typically because the way we operate in the U.S., um, it is a tank mix. It's not in the jug. Years ago, there's glyphosate or Roundup Original. They always would have you add uh, surfactant to it. But even now, they recommend additional surfactant because we need that for weed penetration, herbicide uptake, actually efficacy benefits. So uh, it's a common question. Agreed. But most of our adjuvants are geared for specific, sometimes uh, modes of action, sometimes multiple modes of action. Yeah, and then you so start really tank. Kind of on, yep. Yeah, and then you start yep. tank mixing. And if they if the adjuvant was already in there, then you could overload and burn the crop and all that kind of thing. Yep. So absolutely. Yep. So you mentioned uh, the, the cuticle and penetrating into that leaf. Talk to us just a little bit more about that because I think a lot of people struggled with that last year in the extreme drought that we saw through much of the Midwestern United States. Right. Absolutely. Um, the plant's not any. You know, it's a living organism right so all it's trying to do is layer down additional layers of wax to prevent transpiration or minimize transpiration losses the more waxy layers i can build up on my cuticle my skin or the outside layer of the leaf the less transpiration losses i have so it's a mechanism that uh, has been in place since day one um, to minimize that so that cuticle gets thicker now it's it's microns or millimicrons thick but it's harder to penetrate. So that's where oils tends to be a better adjuvant choice because likes tend to dissolve likes. Oils tend to dissolve the waxy cuticles. So years ago, again, some of, some of your listeners may have a few years on them, but uh, we would go from NIS early in the season, and then we might switch mid-season to oils. Yep. And then we might switch later on to MSO. Right. Yep. So. All right. So. Kent, we got about a minute left here. What else do you want to talk okay. to us about today with improving spray performance? What are the big topics right now you're visiting with uh, agronomists and farmers about? Certainly. I think I didn't hear all of your prior speakers' uh, notes, but I think right now it's a good time to check your equipment. Calibration, perhaps, if it's in the shop. If it's 20 below, of course, that's not uh, feasible. But uh, think about... Uh, you know, doing everything you can from the equipment side of things, uh, your rigs, all your nozzles, your tips and everything. And then really, de- well, don't make it so confusing. We're out there putting pressure behind a pump, putting a herbicide or a pesticide in our tank. We're putting some pneumatic pressure behind it. We're spraying it, transports somewhere. It hits something. We hope it hits something that we're trying to kill. <laughs> yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And not something off in the neighbors. Well, we won't go there today. But then the, that deposit's formed, and that's where your adjuvants really help kick in all the process thereof. And as we talked about through the cuticle, we've got to get the herbicide inside the xylem or phloem of the plant unless it's strictly a non-contact agromoxone or paraquat. So yep. think yeah, so- about the basics. Just stay with the basics, and you won't go too far wrong. Yeah, so again, like Kent said, deposition, that's getting it on the leaf and sticking on the leaf and then get through that cuticle to deliver the herbicide. Kent, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. As always, stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity with fast payback, an expanded application window, makes life simple and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn swift 
simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking a little about improving spray performance on the farm. Next on the show, we got our friend Eric Prosco with us. He is with University of Georgia. Eric, how are you doing today? Hey, Brian, I'm doing very well. Happy New Year to you and your family. You bet. Yeah, Happy New Year. And I imagine that there are just a couple of people excited down your way about the uh, football playoffs going on right now, huh? Uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll do... Uh a better job against Alabama than we did the last time we played <laughs> So we're from the northern United States, not part of the, the SEC or anything, but I, I can only imagine that this is like the number one thing on campus right now that everybody's talking about, right? Well, you, you know, football in the southeast and in Texas is a, more of a religion than a sport. <laughs> so it's a big deal. Uh, you know, anytime you can get to that level and, and play for the national championship, it's uh, it's 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 good for the it's good for the university. Everybody's happy when when UGA's winning. Everybody's happy on on campus and, and in the state of Georgia. 
Now, I hope farmers around the country are just as excited about weed control. I know I am. Well, probably most farmers aren't that excited about it, but I really want to control weeds. Now, you got a lot of resistant weeds down there, and so that's part of the reason we're talking about this improving spray performance topic. What what are the key things you're seeing that farmers are doing that they could improve on that would make that spray performance turn out better? That's a great question. I think the number one thing that a grower can do, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do, and your brother mentioned that earlier, is timeliness. Um, I know, with, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now, and I've done a lot of work with nozzles and boom height and tractor speed and pressure and water volume, and all those things are important, don't get me wrong. But, but I've come to the, my message this year at winter meetings will, will continue to be timeliness, timeliness, timeliness. But it's a hard, it's easy to say you're a farmer, you know, I can tell you to, to be out there at a certain stage and you agree with me, but then you get, uh, it rains or it's too windy or you get a breakdown or something else happens and that keeps you from getting in the field in one or two days, especially with Palmer Amaranth, can make a difference between getting uh, great control and then getting various levels of poor control as that time frame is extended. So I don't know how you fix that problem, right? Because most of our growers are farming large acreages uh, and it's a, it's a complicated thing, but it's, it's the one thing I know that a hundred percent of the time being timely is going to work where some of the other things, if you look at data, you know, like water volume and nozzle and all that time, you're going to see some variability in that, but timeliness works every time. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, we used to run into that problem a lot on our own farm. We've got three guys that work for us on the farm, and they're going to be running sprayers and hauling the the, the stuff out and everything else. And I, I, I and it, whether it was their fault or not, it, maybe it was my fault, but I would always say, okay, I want to spray at this timing. And it would always end up being just past that, exactly to your point, because the excuse was, oh, something broke down or rain or whatever. So honestly, here's what I started going to. Um, we're going to start a week before we really should, because that way it actually gets done on time. Right. I, I don't know. That's a great point, because I, I think we tend to to be always want to wait. Maybe I, I yep. probably heard this for life. I want to wait till all the weeds come yep. up before I pay. And then when you do that, you know, that's that's fine in some in some cases, but usually it's not because by the time you wait for all the weeds to come up, there's probably going to be ones in there that are really big and or too big to spray, and there's going to be some that are perfect size and some that are smaller. So yep. you almost can't be too early in a lot of cases. It's probably always better to err on the side err on the side of earliness than on the side of lateness because then you get the the height very big, especially with Palmer. You know, when we measure Palmer in our research trials when we're spraying, you might measure 25 plants and you don't get the same number every time. You know, you might have a two-inch palmer and it might have a six-inch palmer in the same field, right. and the field was two at the same time. So it's always better to earl, uh, err on the side of earliness, earlier than later. And, you know, normally, and I don't know up in your way, you know, normally for us, typically, if you don't put any residual out, let's say somewhere around 21 days after planting, your weeds are going to be, if you started clean, they'll, they'll be right around that two to three-inch range, which is perfect for most post-emergence herbicide applications. 
Yeah, it really varies for us because now guys have tried to go with this super early planting. I mean, there are there were so many beans planted last year before the first crop insurance date even. I couldn't believe it. But that gets to be the challenge. It's really cold, so it might not be 21 days after. And that's where, yeah, it'd be nice if there was something that was real simple where he could just say, oh, just exactly at this time, you go ahead and do it. And that's part of our problem, I think, is we, we encourage people to scout. But let's be honest, you, you brought up already, okay, Okay, a lot of people are farming quite a few acres. We, we have 3,400 crop acres ourselves. And granted, a lot of them are relatively close to where I live, but I can't get to all 3,400 on a given day. And all of a sudden, things get I get behind and, oh, I'm busy with this and I, I'm not looking. And I think that's where we end up with a lot of problems, too, is, oh, this one, this field got away from me. I hear it every year. It's physically, it's, it's logistically impossible, right, given everything else that you go on, right. you've got going on the farm. You know, and you think about, well, how could I fix that? And there's there's not a lot of practical ways to do that. You could just say, well, you know, if you're a farmer, you're trying to plant your crop as soon as you can. So if you said, well, why don't you delay, you know, try to stagger your planting? Well, that doesn't make sense, right, because right. you're trying to get your crop in. And you're, yep. depending on the size of your farm, you might get it all in in three or four days, depending, or maybe a week, depending on how big your operation is. But that means you've got to spray everything at that time, and that probably is not going to work out, you know, where something's going to happen in that week period when you really should have been over all your acres and you couldn't get over it. Yep. So one of the things that we've gone to on our farm is either fall spraying, which, I mean, it's, it's obviously different where you're at because, I mean, you have a winter, but it's not like our winter where the ground is frozen for five months. But anyway, we'll do some fall spraying and then we do some early spring spraying just as the ground is thawing and, and freezing again. Uh, that's when we do some really early spring spraying. So we've got a lot of stuff done already. So then the planter can just roll. So how does that work in Georgia? Because I, I mean, honestly, you could plant a crop just about any day year round. So if a guy wants to plant spring corn or soybeans, could he be out there a week or two weeks or three weeks in advance of that and, and just get the residuals out and at least have it over with so you could just roll when you plant? I, I guess I guess you, you could do that. We don't really do that kind of thing here in the Southeast. We do you know, one of the things we recommend is in the fall, before we get a frost, let's say after corn harvest, yep. we typically get our corn off in uh, late July, early August. And so we don't get a frost if we get a frost until the middle of November, maybe the first part of December. So yep. you have a window there that you could get a flush of weed. So we recommend for weeds like pigweed, and we have a weed down here called tropical spiderwort, or it's also called Bengal dayflower, that we do something in the fall to keep those from going to seed that'll uh, potentially affect us next year, but but between that time and when we we could start planting corn, sweet corn, you know, it could be in February, yeah. right? And and it's really not a lot of, you know, there's not much weed emergence earlier on. You know, when we do early planting yep. studies with corn, we don't see as many pigweeds, for example, as if we planted, you know, later. We tend to you get more emergence obviously later. So it doesn't really, you know, putting it out too early is. Could, could be a potentially a waste of a waste of time because then your your flush is going to come later and then then at, that, at which point you're you can't do anything because your crop's too big. Yeah, and you have a lot more rainfall, a lot more heat, and lighter soils than we're dealing with because we have the conditions we do. We can put stuff out and it, it just sits there. So we're pretty lucky here. Uh, any any last comments you got for us today, Eric? When it comes to improving spray performance, we got about uh, thirty seconds left. I heard some of your other speakers before me 
you know, knowing your products, and, and, and there's so much to know for them. I don't know how farmers sleep at night, but in terms of herbicides in general, is it contact, is it systemic, and then that can give you a good direction for maybe what's the more appropriate nozzle type, for example, if you just have those general things in your mind. But, again, I, I, I don't know. I can't say it enough. I've been doing – I'm, I'm getting, getting to be an older guy now. Timely being – try to be as timely as possible whenever you spray a small weed you're almost always going to kill it. Whenever you don't, you're going to always be in that great twilight zone of, of getting good control. <laughs> All right. Timeliness, the key message today from Eric Prosco with University of Georgia. Eric, thanks for being on with us. And uh, uh, hope, hope your school turns out uh, tur- turns out good next week with that big football game. <laughs> yep, me, me too. And uh, thank you very much. I always appreciate uh, getting out. You bet. Thanks. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself. Whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest, farming taught me to give it my best no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. 
Right before the break, we were talking with Eric Prosco with University of Georgia, and he just made the, the comment real quickly. I don't know if he caught that. I don't know how farmers can sleep at night with all these things they got to think about. And I, I will tell you, with my dad, that was one of the big things he talked to us about all the time. He just said, guys, if I don't have a residual herbicide out there, I can't sleep at night because I am worried that the weeds are going to get ahead of me. It's going to rain or it's going to be too windy. And then I lost a bunch of yield. So for him, that's why he pushed on pre-emerge herbicides so much when he was farming. And we picked up on that too, because we've seen the same thing with the thousands of farmers that we've worked with over the years. You get a residual herbicide out there and then it at least buys you a little bit of time. And usually in total, you're ending up with better yield. So ultimately, our goal here is, I mean, yeah, farming's fun and all, but it's kind of nice to make money. So we want to have better yield. We want to have more profitability. And it's about allocating the resources as as good as you can. And so that's why we talk as much as we do about residual herbicides. And what Eric Prosco was saying is timeliness, timeliness, timeliness. That's, that's more important than all these other factors. Because, yes, we talked about spray adjuvants and spray nozzles. And don't get me wrong, those things are important too. But you're just, you're, your odds of killing a 12-inch tall weed are so much lower than your odds of killing a 2-inch tall weed. It's unbelievable. So be early. I'd rather have you be too early than be too late. The, if, if you don't get those early weeds under control, your crop starts out behind and it can never catch up. It's just like for us on the farm, we used to have a lot of livestock around, cattle and hogs, and a runt pig is always a runt pig. That's the thing that we learned. We did everything we possibly could to make the runt pig great, never was. Same thing with your crop. If your crop starts off behind, it's in trouble. You're never going to catch up. You're never going to maximize profitability with that crop. All right, we're going to jump back to the phone lines. Got Mark calling in from uh, down the southern United States. Mark, how's it going today? Oh, do we have Mark on there? Let's try that one more time. Uh, Mark, you with us now? All right. Uh, well, maybe not. So, Janelle, why don't you check on that for me? We'll see if we can get Mark back on there. But just to wrap things up on this improving spray performance topic, we would just say there are a lot of things that go into it. Really focus on that timing. You, you want to absolutely take a look at the product you're using. That's always got to be number one. If you don't have the right product, you're in trouble. And here, here's what I worry about. You might say, oh, that's simple. Of course, I'm going to get the right product. I see it very commonly where people get sold on, hey, we have two or three modes of action. Mr. Farmer, you need to buy this product because it's two or three modes of action. And you you realize what one of the, the things in there is, one of the components, but not any of the others. And my point is, sometimes we get sold the wrong things as farmers. There are some products I can think of just off the top of my head that are fairly common fairly popular in my area here and at least one if not two of the three modes of action in that premix aren't going to work on my target weeds i'm after water hemp i'm after kochia i'm after lamb's quarters and ragweed and if i can't kill those with all the modes of action i'm using then i'm using the wrong product i'm not investing my dollars correctly so really look hard at that and this is the time of year to do it you've got time so it might be three months, it might be four or five months before you end up spraying 
the product you're going to buy right now for your farm. So talk to more people. Talk to your retailer. Talk to an agronomist or a few agronomists and find out, hey, what would really be best for me and what's the best allocation of my dollars? Because I want great performance, not just good performance. All right. Uh, so anyway, we've got Mark on with us. I uh, got him back, and I was wrong. I thought it was uh, from down south. It's Mark from Wisconsin who's calling. So anyway, Mark, how are you doing today? I'd be a lot better if I was from down south. Well, I'd like to uh, travel down south right now because it's getting pretty chilly around here, and I assume the same thing for you over there, right? That is correct. It was well below zero last night. So. Yep. All right, so what's your question for yep. us today, Mark? Well... I'm kind of wondering about putting an ad on the radio looking for cropland. Okay. And I don't know if that's a good idea or bad idea. And you being on the radio and TV <laughs> may have... Well, Mark, radio, Mark radio advertising works great. So we're, we're going to tell you right now, everybody needs to be investing their, their ad dollars into radio. But anyway, <laughs> when, 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 when you stop and think about what your question is, though, you're looking for land. And the yep. thing is, it's not the same as, let's say that I'm trying to find a book or a car or something else. Something that are some of these things are real commodities. Whereas land yep. for a lot of people, it's it's part of their life. And when they rent their yep. land out, it's really hard for them to rent their land to somebody they don't know. So that's a good Correct. portion of the landlords out there. Now there's the other portion of landlords out there that are most interested in in just straight out dollars. And this happens real commonly yeah. when it's, let's say, the kid or the grandkid that never had anything to do with the farm and they just inherited this ground. They're like, well, whatever, it's just an investment for me. So they don't care as much about their connection to the farmer on the farm. So what I'm saying here is um, if you place that ad on the radio, most likely you're going to get some of the people who are just looking for top dollar. And they're going to say, well, the guy right now is paying X. If you'll pay X plus 20%, I'll rent you the ground. So if that's what you're after, I mean, you can you can probably find some of that. The, the other side of it, and what we often will tell young farmers is, look, the odds are extremely high. Within 10 or 20 miles of you, there are a whole bunch of landowners who are getting up there in age. They like to have somebody take care of their ground, somebody that they know, somebody that they trust, and somebody who will actually do a good job and be responsible with their land. And so if you're just making contact, not through an ad, but making contact with them individually, and then you, you continue talking to them over a period of years, a lot of times then you have a better chance. And very often, too, for a lot of young farmers, what they do is, let's say they buy a sprayer and then they do some custom spraying for some of the guys who don't want to do their own spraying anymore right in their area. So they at least are doing some custom work or something. So they get on the farm somehow, some way, start building that relationship. And then there, there's a lot of this stuff where it comes down to relationship. Because if you want to be the guy who's paying the absolute top dollar out there, you can, but it's it's hard to make money by the time you get all done. And you don't have any money left to build up the ground, to do the very, very best job with everything you got out there because there just aren't enough dollars that are left. Right. So anyway, I, I mean, you can certainly try it, but I, I, I mean, 
I always try to look at things from both sides, the positive side and the negative side. That's one of the big things that we always learned growing up. You got to look at it from all angles. For me, I'm, I mean, I'd like to farm a little more ground too. I'm probably not going to place an ad and this would be the reason why. Okay. Fair enough. So anyway, so yeah. Now, now again, for everybody else listening, for any other kind of business, I mean, radio advertising, absolutely the way to go. Just, but no, seriously, I, I, I would encourage you because you don't want to be farming in Timbuktu either. You want to be farming close to where you live. So it, it, right. it's got to be, in my opinion, the the personal relationship thing, and hopefully you can start to acquire ground. And it it, it comes slow. I, I, I mean, it just it takes so much time. And and here's one other thing that I'll 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 leave you with, Mark. Our dad would often say, a lot of times, guys, ground comes up once or twice in your lifetime. And when you go buy ground, every single time you will say it's too expensive. Every time. And I agree with him. There hasn't been a single time where I've said, Oh wow, that was really cheap. But he just said, if you can afford it, then you try to buy that piece of ground that's relatively close to you, and eventually then things work out 40 or 50 years later. The, the reason why a lot of people don't get into farming is it's a long-term play. You have one business cycle a year, and it might take you 30 years to acquire some ground that you'd really like to acquire, and you're in it for the long haul, you're in it for the lifestyle, and you're in it for you know the, the, the fact that you're doing something great for the planet for everybody else. So anyway, I just encourage you, Mark, uh, stick with it. Hang in there. Uh, It's tough being a young farmer, but I'm sure you'll do well. Thanks for calling in today. Um, Appreciate it. I have a quick follow-up question. Okay, I'll tell you what. Hang on for me. we got a quick break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. 
now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Right before the break, we were talking with a young farmer from Wisconsin, Mark. And Mark, you had a follow-up question there. What what else can we help you with? Uh, around me, it seems like everybody and their brother wants me to raise hay. Okay. And for me, for me, I have a tough time penciling hay out. Like it's taken me a long, long time even as a farmer to figure out, Hey, I got to be putting on 900 pounds of fertilizer in order to come out on this. Yep. And then the hay gets rained on and nobody wants to buy the hay or this, that, or the other thing. Sure. So So, how do you remain positive with landlords? Because no one likes a negative Nancy and still say, Hey man, you got to watch your soil test because I'm afraid that even a lot of good hay farmers maybe don't quite realize that they're depleting your so- right. soil. So, Mark, I assume we're talking about alfalfa hay here, right? Any kind of hay. Okay. They- okay. Uh, so, as an example here, on our farm, we had a great big dairy go up right next to us. There was a small dairy, now it's a huge dairy. And anyway, they want us to raise some alfalfa hay, and we're going to do it, and we'll see how it all turns out in the end. Because, I, I mean, I'm assuming we can do a good job raising alfalfa, just like we're doing with corn or soybeans or anything else. But anyway, the deal basically is they have to take it, and they will have someone come in and do the cutting, and, well, basically it'll be haylage. So we have that deal worked out, so then I don't have to worry about, oh, I've got to get this bailed up, and if the quality isn't quite there, then they're not happy or anything else. So that was our compromise on the deal, and that might be something you could work on as well to try to find the end purchaser and work something out so you definitely have a place to go rather than kind of having a place to go. Just as a thought, that that might help uh, make that a little bit easier for you. All right. Deeply appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for the call, Mark. Good luck out there. Thanks. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! First of all, I have to apologize because we have gotten so many questions in at our radio inbox, which is radio at agphd.com, by the way. 
that uh, we're, we're behind. So I'm literally answering some questions from November and December. So I apologize that it is taking so long, but we're going to hopefully get to a lot more questions here over the next week or so and, and start getting caught up. But anyway, this question comes from Alan and he says, Hi guys, I've attached some soil samples for our 2022 watermelon crop. What's your opinion on lime and gypsum? All right, so Alan, one of the things, if you ever hear us talk to Neil Kinsey on the show, he's one of the world's leading soils experts. He's just fantastic, so knowledgeable, been around for many, many, many years, and he has all these great stories about stuff. But when we first started talking to him, we were showing some of showing him some of our soil tests. And he goes, guys, I can give you a general statement here, but I can't tell you for sure because it didn't run through my lab. And it's like, well, do you need more business, Neil, or whatever? And he goes, no, that's not the thing. He goes, every lab runs tests a little bit differently. He says, with my lab, I at least know exactly how it's run, so I know exactly how to interpret that. For example, with Alan, he sent tests in, and there's nothing wrong with Waters Labs, okay? But this one is from Waters. Well, we're not used to dealing with that. And let me just give you an example right off the very first line. 6.3 is the soil pH. Yet the hydrogen level in the base saturation test says 39.6. Look, how most labs would run that test is if it's a 6.3 pH, you're going to be at about 10 for hydrogen, which means your calcium and your magnesium are going to be higher, and that's going to skew things. So I assume where this question is coming from, Alan, is you hear us on the show talking about, yeah, we'd like to see at least 65% calcium and, you know, around 12, 14, 20 percent magnesium, something like that. And you look at your soil test and you go, well, I only have 7% magnesium and I only have 48% calcium. So I got a real problem here. Um, I don't think you do have a problem. I, so I, I can't give you the full answer because this isn't running through one of the labs where I know exactly how the test is run. But the thing I can tell you is with watermelon, the, the pH that they'll commonly talk about is 6 to 6.5. So almost every sample you've got here is 6 to 6.5, and the ones that aren't at that are at 5.8. Well, if you're at 5.8 and you have a lighter soil, like 8 for cation exchange capacity, you only need a splash of lime. So I'm just trying to say don't get too carried away if you want to put some lime on, and also don't listen to what we're saying about the 65% calcium when it comes to Waters Labs because it's going to be a little bit different based on how they calculate that hydrogen there. So anyway. My my first thought is you could use a tiny little bit of lime in a few spots, and that's probably about it, and I think you're going to be fine. Some of the other things that I would definitely look at, though, regardless of the crop, one of the big things for me is always phosphorus and potassium. Well, both your phosphorus and your potassium levels, they're not terrible, but they're also not like outstanding. And I see they do have some recommendations on here for P and K, but it's just one of those things I keep working on trying to build those up, especially phosphorus, because phosphorus doesn't leach in soil, even when you're talking eight for CEC. So anyway, just, uh, just my general thoughts. Oh, I would say too, when we talk about phosphorus, we usually talk about the ratio of phosphorus to zinc. It looks like you've got some zinc, but you could use a little bit more, especially as you bump your phosphorus up there. All right, next question here is from Cameron, who says, uh, I was listening to your show on calcium and sulfur, and that's the reason why I'm reaching out to you today. So I'm from western North Dakota, and I got two pivots that I've been irrigating for the last 20 years. Well, my problem is my sodium levels are getting really high. So can you take a look at these and let me know what you think? All right. 
yes, your sodium levels are getting high. We're at 6% and 9% sodium. Even at 6% sodium, I am extremely worried that we're hurting our yield. I, I mean, I, I know that yield is getting hurt. So my first thought, whenever you have a high, high sodium level, is tile. You have a 20 CEC or 19 CEC and 28 CEC. So in other words, we're dealing with heavy soil and this is eight and a half pH. So I'm, I'm not as worried about the pH for the moment as I am about, look, we got to get this sodium thing taken care of because sodium will increase pH roughly four to one compared to calcium. So the, what I'm saying is the reason why your soil pH is so high is because of your levels of magnesium, but especially your levels of sodium. So we got to get that sodium down over time. So my first suggestion is tile. My second su suggestion is look at the irrigation water quality that you're dealing with. And I know that you're not going to want to do this, but I would suggest either going deeper to try to find better water or somehow treating that water. So that's something you can talk to your irrigation company about. But then look at your sulfur levels. So the way that you're going to flush that sodium out, a lot of people in your area will talk about gypsum. And that's great, and that would be my suggestion for you. But you do have a fair amount of sulfur out there already, which is telling me you have a drainage problem. When you fix that drainage problem, then you're going to find sulfate binding with that sodium to start flushing that out. So once you get the tile done and, and work on your irrigation water, then I would be looking at potentially adding some gypsum as you move forward, and hopefully you can get that solved. But I, I, I would tell you kudos for at least starting to address this now, because a lot of times when we see it, it's way too far gone. Nine, you're getting awful close to um, that's ground that you're going to give up. I, I, I mean, honestly, uh, you you got you to gotta make a change soon or, or things are just going to get really bad. All right, I got couple of questions here from Kevin and from Sarah asking about Ag PhD workshops this winter and are there plans to show those workshops virtually? We will be showing most of our workshops virtually, especially, well, just starting next week, both the wheat workshop and the soils clinic. They will be virtual. So, Kevin in particular says, I'm not worried about COVID, but I do have cattle. So it's hard to travel. And Kevin, I get that. We used to have livestock too. It was hard to leave the farm. Um, anyway, I, I would just say this though. If you can, especially for the soils clinic, I mean, the wheat workshop, you know, if you're not in person, it's not as big a deal. But the soils clinic, it's two days. We're going to have about 50 really well-trained soils agronomists there. And we can help you with your soils tests because you can bring them to us. We can go through everything. So I'd really encourage you with the soils clinic, if you can make it, that's the one where I'd say be in person. It's absolutely going to be worth your time. And the great thing about all the Ag PhD workshops that we conduct, we put them on for free. So we're just trying to help you and help you do a better job in terms of yield, managing your land, and hopefully making a little more money as we go into 2022 and beyond. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff. Uh, my sister Janelle was running the controls for me today. Thanks to everybody who called in or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.